Now, while I'm getting ready and you're all getting settled, I'll, I'll just let you know that Vicky and I have just come back from two weeks' holiday. We've been staying in a luxury resort under the stars, not five stars, but millions of them. Um, we've been in our, in our tent camping down at Deep Creek. And uh, it, those of you who uh, follow Vicky on Facebook will have noticed that um, he has uh, put a lot of stuff on there about how far we walked. Um, so I'm feeling very fit. Um, I wanted to show you how relaxed and, and show you how uh, I look at not having shaved for two weeks, um, which is a really relaxing look, at least I thought, but Vicky mentioned the word hobo several times in succession <laughs> um, and uh, refused to come this morning unless I shaved. Um, so you're not going to get to see the really relaxed me, unfortunately. Um, but we did have a great time. We had great weather. Uh, we, we love going hiking um, out in the Australian bush. It's, uh, it's actually relaxing, possibly not physically, but certainly mentally and emotionally. And uh, so we've spent uh, a few nights sitting around campfires with the smoke spiralling lazily into the evening air, uh, tasting, actually we haven't been tasting marshmallows because I hate them, but um, we've been having a good time, so... I want to thank all the team uh, who have uh, covered for us for the last couple of Sundays. I uh, understand from what I've heard that they've done a really good job. So thank you guys for letting us get away and uh, relax for a bit. So, and I heard Nathan did very well uh, last Sunday. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit upset with him actually because um, I'm preaching on the same topic. I've subtitled mine, What Would Jesus Do? And I listened to Nathan's message and he was... He was very um, positive about this whole idea that we should be praying and stuff. And I, I, I looked and I thought, I've entitled my message, What Would Jesus Do? for the mere fact that we have no idea. Because Jesus didn't actually send us a manifesto of how to do church. And so it's actually the wrong question, and I'll, I'll get to the right question in, in just a little while. But the whole idea of church community is one of those interesting things in the Bible which is actually a miracle because nowhere in the Bible does it actually tell us how to do it. In fact, we have only a few pointers to really get the idea that we're doing the right thing. I mean, we could be stuffing this up completely. <laughs> and, not, and let me tell you, sometimes we have. Um, but God is good and God is forgiving. But the first thing I think we need, we need to um, understand is that the church is important to God. And if we look in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, we can see how linked and connected the church is to Jesus Christ. Verse 17 says, He existed, this is Jesus, He existed before anything else and He holds, he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth, earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now you read that and you sort of think, well, God's pretty invested in the church. The church, he, he considers the church Christ's body. Who, who likes their body? Who thinks it's a pretty important part of them? I mean, none of us can really do without them. Um, I watched a, an episode of 
I was on Netflix and I watched an episode of Spartacus the other night. And I thought, wow, I mean, I've seen Game of Thrones. This is almost as bad. Uh, several people uh, had their bodies removed um, from the other bit. And it, it was made very plain to me that we actually need our bodies all in, all in one piece. It's very important to us. And if the church is the body of Christ, then it's very important to God that the head and the body remain together. So we can see that church is an integral part of God's plan for his people. In fact, I'll let you into a secret. It's his only plan. There is no plan B. So we need to get this right. So how much time does Jesus dedicate to teaching the disciples how to run a church? Strangely, not a lot. So if we look in, I mean, I, I, I did a search for the number of times that Jesus and church are mentioned together in the Gospels. And there are two places. Both, the first one's an important one. I'll read that to you. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And this is where Peter has come out, blurted out the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Jesus says, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And that's it. Just a side note there that the name Peter, which means rock, and the rock that he mentions in the very next line are not the same rock. Uh, a lot of people read that and say, well, he built his church on Peter because Peter was the rock. But the rock that he's talking about is the revelation that Peter had that Jesus was the Messiah. Our church is built on revelation and the revelation that Jesus has got. So, and he goes on in a couple of parables in Matthew 18. He stresses the importance of childlike faith by telling the disciples not to shoo the children away. He tells the parable of the lost sheep to indicate his, his burden for the lost. Uh, he gives instructions on correcting fellow believers in verse 20. And he stresses the importance of forgiveness and the fact that when one or two more are gathered together, that he is in our midst. And that, that's about it. That's Jesus' teaching on how to run church. Um, it's, it's a little um, short on, on some of the basics. Um, we can boil it down to Jesus' idea of church is that we're based on the revelation of him being the son of God, being a people of faith who have a heart for lost people. We've got to be able to solve our internal disputes in a godly manner, recognize that Jesus is with us when we gather, and to forgive one another. It's, it's, it's almost like a big vision statement for a church, isn't it? It doesn't actually tell you how to do stuff. There is not one mention of communion, worship, prayer meetings, running sheets. Not, not even band rehearsals, they're not covered in the Gospels. In fact, his final instructions to his disciples don't even mention church, never mind community. Who can remember what Jesus said? It, it, I mean, it doesn't sound like church. He says, and listen to this, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so that, to me, sounds like a mission state. It's like, hey, gather around. Here's your job, your job, your job. Now, go. And it's almost, almost, has anybody ever seen The Amazing Race? 
It sounds to me a bit like that. He gathers them at the start line and he says, okay, you're going for a trip around the world, uh, tear open the envelope and off you go. And that's the vision I have of what Jesus is telling the disciples to do. It doesn't actually sound like church. He didn't say go and find a building and sit in pews and listen to some guy at the front while you've played music and you're going to go and have coffee afterwards. Um, and all this fell, and then all this prayer stuff that, that Nathan mentioned, where does this come in? Where did he get that idea from? Because Jesus didn't say that to have multiple prayer meetings before the service or have them during the week. And so I'm a bit worried about where Nathan actually got all this information from. I was very tempted to sort of get onto SoundCloud and sort of remove the recording just in case it was heretical information that, that Nathan was preaching while I was gone. Got to keep your eye on these people, you know. But, so the question to ask is, Nathan obviously didn't get that information from the Gospels. He, he was reading from the book of Acts. And so what we've got to ask ourselves is, how did the disciples get from hearing Jesus' teaching on revelation of Jesus Christ and go out and make disciples to the model of church that suddenly appears in the book of Acts. And when I say suddenly, and I'm clicking my fingers and I know I shouldn't because God didn't do that. Um, uh, but I'm speaking words as well, which I think helps. Um, something must have happened for them to actually do that. Um, and I'll read again the, the, the model that Nathan talked about last week, Acts 2.42. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple every day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So we have to ask ourselves, is this something the disciples invented? After all, I, I, I don't know whether you've read the ending, and I don't want to spoil anything here, but at the ending of the Gospels, Jesus dies. I knew I shouldn't have stated it. Um, and if you read it, the, the disciples, I mean, and this is the funny thing, he told the disciples he was going to die and he was going to rise again. And so the disciples believed all this, were totally relaxed. Except they were, they'd locked themselves in a room and were scared, witless, that the whole plan had come undone. They were expecting Jesus to come back and instigate the kingdom of Israel in front of them. And none of this had happened and he was dead and they'd forgotten what he said. So if you're frightened in a room and you think, well, we've got this far. We've followed him for three years. We know some stuff. Let's invent church. What do you reckon? Oh, Peter up the back. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Prayer, prayer, prayer. We need, to, we need to have prayer. Okay, prayer. We'll put that down. And eat it. Thomas, I like food. We've got to have food. So let, let, let's, have, let's have the Lord, let's share meals around because I'm not rich. So let's go around to other people's places and eat their food. Um, and, uh, you know, and some said, well, we, we need to, we need to, we, we need to um, make sure that we don't get into too many fights. So let's get, you know, some arbitration going here. And, and, and one says, well, I like music. How about we make a band? I, I want to play, I want to play lead guitar. And so they got a band together. Couldn't find a drummer. I don't know what it is. It's hard to find drummers. Um, and so they could have 
they could have just decided, well, look, this is, this is a good alternative to what Jesus was preaching. He's not here anymore, so let, let's do it that way. But if we do that, we lose sight of the fact that there's a miracle involved in the church. In fact, several miracles. The first of which is that this model of evangelism, of fellowship, of worship, or whatever, has lasted centuries. In fact, millennia. And is still going strong. So some poxy idea by the disciples I don't think fits the bill. Plus the fact that if I've read about them. None of them were that smart. Let me tell you. You don't have to be smart to be a disciple. And everybody breathed a sigh of relief. So to take that approach, we give the disciples way too much credit. And we ignore the evidence that fulfills what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16 and 17. First of all, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus states that his church will be built on revelation and that would have the keys to the kingdom. Now, there was this day that I forgot to mention in between all of this called Pentecost. And Pentecost is when they were all in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came and brought down the keys to heaven and empowered them. And so the church actually started in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, when it says, What looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on them, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. For the first time, the revelation of the kingdom of heaven was made accessible to everyone through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, I don't know whether you noticed, but when I read out in Acts about how the Believers devoted themselves to teaching and all the rest. The last line in that is, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. Now, if it had been an idea of the apostles, how did God suddenly get involved and start adding to their fellowship? It wasn't a man idea, it was a God idea. And so, it's interesting. I don't know whether they even thought about that was how it was going to work, but they started doing what had come from revelation and infilling of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, this thing starts to work. And the whole idea of church community, when you step back and have a look, church community is a lean, mean discipleship. Without even knowing it, they have developed the best way of discipling people ever seen in the whole world. And they just stumbled into it just by staying in an upper room and waiting on the Holy Spirit. You don't even have to be clever for that. You just have to be persistent and faith-filled and all of those things. So it's not actually a question of asking ourselves, what would Jesus do? It's a question of asking ourselves, what are we going to do with the revelation that Jesus has given us? Because he didn't set down any rules. He didn't say church has to look like this and you must do this and you must do that. You've got to have this and you've got to do it this way. Because let me tell you, if he'd done that, if he'd set out rules, our church today would look just like the church in the book of Acts. We would have built a temple somewhere, called it a synagogue, and visited there every day, because it says you've got, to, you've got to go to the temple every day and worship. We'd be going around into people's homes and eating. We'd be preaching on hilltops and in sheep paddocks, because that's what they did back then, on street corners. Never happens here. It would look like it was supposed to look. But Jesus didn't say this is how it's supposed to look. 
He said, this is who you are supposed to be. And so that's why when you look at church today, it looks nothing like the church in the book of Acts. And I've heard a lot of people preach on getting back to your roots, getting back to the church in the book of Acts. God is not a backward-looking God. He doesn't look back and say, you guys have stuffed things up. Get back to what you used to do. He's a forward-looking God. He says, you guys might not have it all right just yet, but if you keep moving forward, you are going to make something and create something which is going to affect generations to come. And you have the freedom if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, if you're prepared to forgive people, if you're prepared to fellowship with people, if you're prepared to pray and believe that when, when you get together and pray that Jesus is there, then whatever else you do has to flow out of that. We need to be a church of revelation, not a church of rules. Now we have some rules because you know, we're in a building, we, we hire it from the council, and they have rules. You know, no spitting. Um, you know, we, we've got to clean up after ourselves. Um, you know, no getting excited during worship and smashing chairs on the wall like at your rock concert, stuff like that. We have standards of behaviour. But they're, they're cultural, not revelation. Well, hopefully they're not a revelation <laughs> to people. But we need, we need to understand that this gives each and every one of us an opportunity to contribute to the community that we call church. Everyone can actually be involved in being a disciple and being a disciple maker. Because, I mean, I said the church is a lean, mean discipleship machine. And you sort of think, well, okay, so you're getting us together in community. You've, you've got an ulterior motive. This, all this community business is about discipleship. You're trying to make us do something. Yes. But the, the fact is, if you look at any, any relationship, any healthy relationship is a discipleship relationship. If I have a relationship with, with Nathan, if I do all the talking, he becomes my disciple. And that's not what we're in church for. I'm here to make him a disciple of Jesus Christ, but he's here to make me a disciple as well. There are some things that Nathan, if I let him speak, which I, which I did last Sunday, so that's it for the rest of the year. Well, until Sunday after. Um, but we're actually called to pour things into each other's lives. It's not a question of it all, it all comes from me. Um, because I cheat and I borrow it from other people, so don't go there. But it, it's a question of relating to one another. It says, you know, iron sharpens iron. As, as we, as, a, as a, a disparate group of people, we, we're not all the same. Who's got more hair than me? Most people, you see. <laughs> um, who's, oh, I won't ask who's got less. Well, I mean, even George, I mean, it's in a different place, but he's got a... a, a <laughs> A lot more than me. I mean, I tried for two weeks to, to grow what Jordan's got, and it ended up looking like this, um, and grayer. So it, it's not a good look. Um, I tried to trim it into a goatee, but she said hobo again. Um, so everybody can be involved in being a disciple and making disciples. We can do life together and take care of the community. We can pray together. We can learn from God's word together. We can fellowship and break bread together. And that's what Jesus would have us do. And so that's, that's, what, that's where Nathan got his idea that prayer is important. It's not because Jesus said, 
this is what you must do to do church. It's because Nathan has a revelation of what church community is about. And he preached out of that revelation on Sunday. And we need to be a church that's constantly looking to God for revelation about how to connect with people, how to do life together. Church is just part of the life we do together. And we do it this way because it's convenient for us. It, it works. Uh, we change things from time to time to try and uh, be less frightening to people coming outside. I mean, walking into a church um, can be a frightening thing to do. And so, we're, but we're always working these things out. It's, church should never be static. The things that we do this year are quite different, some of them, from the things we did last year. And we do that not just because we like change, because most of us, if you're like me, are phlegmatic, and we don't actually care, really. Um, we quite like it the old way, but if you want to change it, sure, we'll go along with that as well. Um, but we're doing it because our focus is lost people. We're, our focus is discipling people. Discipleship doesn't start when you say, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. Discipleship starts as you, you have coffee with um, your, your cousin down the road who doesn't know Jesus. Um, and you might not even mention that for two years. Um, but you're building a relationship. You're actually showing him discipleship by letting him see into your life and what we're doing. So everybody has an opportunity to contribute to the church community. I want to do a couple of things before I close. Um, as a community things, believe it or not. Uh, first of all, can, can I actually ask people to stand up? Um, and if you are looking for a job at the moment, uh, you have applied for a job, you have got an interview for a job, you hate your job and you're thinking of applying for another job, uh, whatever it is, uh, or you might want another job next year, if you have a new job on your mind, can you come out the front here? I'd love to pray for you. Now, who here, is there anybody here who's just recently got a new job? Right, can I get you guys out the front? Now, can I get you guys to stand in the middle here? You guys all stand behind them. Oh, good. There's lots of them. This is, this is exciting. So what I want you guys behind, just gather around these two people. Are you sure there's nobody else? Because these two are going to get a, a, an incredible um, jolt of faith here. Because all I've done is these people who've just got a job have stepped out in faith to get this job. That, I mean... Who's pretty happy they've got a job? Are you guys happy you've got a new job? Good. These guys are looking for a new job. And I want you, I, all I want you to do, I'll, I'll do the praying so it's okay. You don't have to, to embarrass yourselves. Um, but what I want you to do, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just embarrass me <laughs> again. Okay, I'll, I'll change feet. Um, if, you, if you guys could lay your hands on, on these people, just one hand on, on their shoulder or something. Yep, that's good. And... I want you just to, to begin to believe that the, what happened for you is going to happen for these people. So Lord, I pray right now that through the faith that we have, that you provide all our needs, that Gwenda and Jared, as they look for employment, as they look for jobs, they are going to find the job that they want. They are going to get the remuneration that they want, and they are going to Give into those jobs the skills that you have put into their lives. Lord, I pray right now that we stand in faith, believing 
that jobs will come, that they will be the, the jobs that they are looking for, they will be perfect for what they want. And they will not only be blessed by their jobs, but they will be a blessing in their jobs. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, guys. Well done. Now, who gets hay fever? Right, down the front. Now, you see, I picked, I picked hay fever because hay fever is an insidious problem because often we consider hay fever beneath our notice. It's just that allergy you get come springtime and it's not really a disease and it's, not re it's only a bit of a problem because you get a sniffly nose and you have to take antihistamines. And, and it's, not, it's, it's often something we overlook. People say, are we healthy? And we'll say, yes, just got a little bit of hay fever. No, if you've got hay fever, you're not healthy. It's not a nice thing to have. And so we need to actually have an attitude change here about hay fever. It is a real disease. Well, I, it's a real problem, put it that way. <laughs> all, all you diseased people out the front. <laughs> but uh, it's a matter of, sometimes we have things that are wrong with us that are below our, our faith threshold. We sort of think, oh, well, it doesn't matter, it's only small, it's only an inconvenience. And so we don't, don't bother to use our faith. It, I mean, it's not cancer. And so, yeah, we use Telfast instead of, that never worked for me, I had to use uh, Claramine, but... Um, but the thing is, I don't have hay fever anymore. I don't get hay fever anymore. Now, I cannot, and, I, and I, this is full disclosure here, uh, I cannot claim that it was just through faith that I stopped getting hay fever. I went to a chiropractor. Um, yeah, ask Bill. Um, um, no, don't ask Bill. He'll tell you anyway. Um, but it was... It was only through that I realised that I'd been living with something which was debilitating to a large degree that I had ignored because I hadn't even bothered to apply my faith to it. And so I want us to do that this morning. I want us to actually confront hay fever. It's not just something to sell um, remedies on TV, you know, um, Telfast and uh, Zyrtec and Claritine and all of those things. It's great. It's great marketing for people, but who knows, wouldn't it be good to put those people out of business? <laughs> you know, we can't sell any Claritine because nobody gets hay fever anymore. <laughs> but that would be fabulous, especially for you guys. It's expensive stuff. So I want us to start stirring our faith. Mighty God, you know that you have created us in your image, that disease and sickness is not part of your image. No matter how small, no matter how seasonal, no matter how insignificant, it may be. It is not part of your plan for us to suffer with these seasonal issues. And so, Lord, I pray right now that we apply our faith. This is something that we can beat. This is something that doesn't have to be part of our lives. And so, Lord, we proclaim right now that your name is above the name of allergy, hay fever, uh, sniffly nose, whatever you want to call it. The name of Jesus trumps all of those things. And so, Lord, we invoke your name, the name of Jesus the name of our healer. You died on the cross for our illness and disease. And Lord, we proclaim you Lord Supreme over every illness and disease. And we crush hay fever under our feet. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.
Amen. Now, hay fever is something I can fairly safely say you can go off the medication without doctor's approval just to, just to check these things. Um, and, but do it in faith. It's not an experiment you're doing here. This is a faith statement that you're making. And sometimes I remember that I used, to, I used to ride home from the university when I worked at uni on my bike. And as I rode through St. Peter's, uh, there were a lot of um, flowering trees in the spring there. And as I rode through, I could feel myself getting hay fever. And so I used to ride through St. Peter's praying like stink, rebuking this hay fever. And it would go. But every time I, I relaxed and stopped praying, it came back. I'd sneeze and oh, I've got. And sometimes it's a it's three months. I cycled through that that suburb and had to pray every time I went through. It, it wasn't. It's not like I pray once and sometimes you have to persevere. But I can go through that suburb now and I don't even <laughs> achoo. Nothing happens because I persevered for that time. So guys, persevere. Awesome. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. And the last thing before, before we, we close our service, uh, just yeah, take, take your seats again, just quickly. I want to issue an invitation here this morning. We've talked about church community, and we've talked about the importance of being a group of believers that we call church, with our church as the body and as Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And to be involved in a church community, to be part of a revelation church, you actually have to have a revelation that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. We actually have to make a faith statement saying, Lord, we accept you. You are the Lord of, our li Lord of my life. I bow before you. I am going to let you be my leader in life. And we do that in this church by praying a prayer that just says, invites Jesus into our hearts. We just say, Lord, I'm here, willing to follow you. I lay down my old life. I accept my new life with you as my Lord and Savior. And that is a prayer that opens our heart to God and starts us on a pathway to be part of a, a church community with Jesus Christ. And so I, I want to invite you. You may never have actually invited Jesus into your heart. Or you may have done it, but you're still not part of his church community. Um, and he, he, he wants to welcome you into that. So can I just ask everybody here to close their eyes for a moment? And if you're here and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, but you want to be part of his kingdom and his community, in a moment I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so that I can see it. And uh, I'm going to acknowledge that. You can put it back down again and, and we can pray together for you to receive Jesus. If you've actually done it before, but you know you're not living in relationship with him, then he would like to welcome you back. You too can raise your hand, and I'd love to pray exactly the same prayer with you to welcome you back into the community of Jesus. So while nobody's looking around, if that's you this morning, for the first time, or you may have done it before, if you want to receive Jesus Christ, just lift your hand up so that I can see it. I'll acknowledge that, and we can pray together. Just wait a moment longer. Anybody at all wants to make that decision this morning. Are 
Okay, can I ask you to open your eyes, stand to your feet? I want to just want to pray, Lord, we are your people. We are your community. We are your church. We pray, Lord, that this week we go out and we are your hands and feet and eyes on this earth, that we speak to people who don't know you, that we encourage people with your love, treat people with compassion. We show them the kingdom of God on this earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.